What's happening, SoFam? And welcome to Anti-Shamanic Wellness, the podcast where we talk about spirituality and so much more. So today we have a very special guest. Um, we found each other on Instagram and uh, kind of just like really just vibed out. So his name's Kalen and he's a spiritual life coach. He really focuses on uh, spirituality with queer men and embodying your body and a lot of those concepts that have to do with like Tantra. So welcome, Kay. Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So the first thing we ask everybody on the podcast is like, um, Antohai means like three very specific things, depending on what version of your life you're in. So the cravings of life, if you feel like you're really just kind of like getting the the tone for a new life that you're experiencing and you're kind of like rebalancing that. Uh, the cravings of victory, if you're basically learning how to really crush your goals and go after things that you normally were having major issues with, or the power of the gods where you've already balanced your life and you've already understood the mechanics of your victory, but now you're sitting in your power and you're just letting that unfold. Like, where are you at right now? Those are all so juicy. Let's go with number three for me, uh, especially talking with you. One of the things I really appreciate about you, Axel, is just how willing you are to embrace your power, to embrace uh, the power of the gods and embody that in yourself. Uh, so that's definitely something I feel like I'm striving to cultivate. Nice, nice. And like, how is that like kind of like showing up in your life as of late? Well, one of the things you've definitely inspired me with is the willingness to dive into the mystical, to be unafraid of going fully balls out to the limit saying, I am doing this crazy energetic or psychic thing. I'm not going to apologize to anyone if it sounds a little nuts, uh, but I am really going to try and tap into my divinity. I'm going to tap, tap into higher levels and bring that all into my sphere. Yeah, it sounds good. That's awesome. So, okay, tell us a little bit about like your story because um, you you've lived in an ashram for like an extended amount of time. You like you dove into yeah. tantra, and like usually people too like think about tantra as like this only sexual practice. But you've done mm -hmm. the other half of that before you even got into the sexual stuff. So I think that's like what's really really interesting. Um, and of course, like the revelations that come from you living that lifestyle, right? Because it's so different than what most people um, even get to experience at some time. And there's very specific wisdom that I, I feel like when you live those kinds of particular perceptions, like there's only wisdom that you can gain under that scope. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. So yeah, a little bit about me. I'm from Chicago originally, grew up in the suburbs. So Midwestern boy, Methodist, pretty conservative growing up. Um, but even from a being a young kid had a really strong connection to the divine and mystical experiences. Like I would, you know, most nights have conversations with God and feel them talking back to me. I would have, you know, like be sitting at my desk in first grade and watch myself breathe and suddenly be like taken out of my body and in this swirling vortex of ecstasy. And I just thought that was normal. Uh, I would find myself sitting alone in the woods in lotus posture, meditating or in headstand having never done yoga, never had been initiated into meditation. As I got older, I started to ask the church that it was a part of how do I connect more to God? How do I develop this? And they couldn't give me an answer. They told me to join the choir. And I was like, no, that's, that's not what I'm looking for, but thank you. I appreciate it. So while I was in college, I began a spiritual search. I began looking up all different spiritual traditions from Baha'i to Mormonism to Buddhism. Uh, it started to go visit places. And lo and behold, I also started to take yoga practice. And initially I didn't think of yoga as being a spiritual tradition, but I would go for an hour and a half of yoga and then an hour of meditation. And it just so deeply resonated with me. Uh, one of the teachers I, I connected with initially had a guru and she would read from his one of his books. And there was this sense of homecoming. There was this sense of tapping into the ethereal to the mystical in a way that I had been hoping to find. Uh, worked out that the summer before my senior year, I got a scholarship that would pay for me to go spend a month living in the Rocky Mountains in a retreat center, doing a yoga training and a meditation teacher training. And so I went, I ended up taking the head of that lineage as my guru and was for somebody who grew up always feeling like the odd man out, the, the awkward duckling to finally found what felt like my tribe. 
to feel like I found people who were speaking the same language, who were curious about the same things, where I truly felt like I had found family, spiritual family. Sangha is the term in Sanskrit that's often used. And it was a very, very powerful awakening experience for me. So immediately upon coming back, I got very invested with this community. I started bicycling 35 minutes every morning my senior year down to Rogers Park in Chicago to go attend morning meditation classes, start teaching yoga for them. And when it was time to graduate, they were opening up their own small ashram on the north side of Chicago and asked if I would like to move in. So I was enthusiastically, yes, absolutely, moved in that summer, spent about six and a half years there. And so it was a very intense time of sadhana or spiritual practice for me. We had to be at meditation class every single day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, if you didn't have special permission otherwise. Um, 5.30 a.m., would meditate for about three hours, would have to do selfless service throughout the day, cooking, cleaning, teaching, um, evening meditation classes again. And I was also simultaneously trained to develop a career as an actor. So I would bounce back and forth between this very artistic kind of worldly pursuit and then go back to the ashram and uh, pursue my spiritual life. So they, they, they balanced each other well. Uh, I will say I spent most of those six and a half years not sleeping since Theater work tends to happen late at night. So got very good at surviving on three hours of sleep most nights. Um, you're not allowed to nap in an ashram, so catching up on sleep wasn't an option. So 2016, I ended up getting cast in a production that took me to Los Angeles. And I thought that was the culmination of what I wanted to be doing career-wise, working in TV and film. Uh, spent five months there doing that play, got an agent, got a manager booked a bunch of work, but just realized that my values had evolved as I'd grown up. And what I was really seeking was fulfillment through uh, greater depth than just awards and fame could provide. So I decided to leave acting, move back to Chicago and move in with my fiance and reorient my life towards community, being of service, uh, surrounding myself with loved ones. About a month after I got back to Chicago, I had a very traumatic breakup with the spiritual community I was a part of. And actually, you mentioned that it is a tantric community. So it was classically tantric, meaning that they said all that sexual stuff you're not supposed to actually do. You're just supposed to imagine it. Um, but tantra is about cosmic unification, uh, the masculine, the feminine, the light and the dark, that we embrace all parts of ourselves. Uh, the sexual stuff isn't part of what we do. Uh, but I had a traumatic breakup with them. I got thrown out of the community because I stood up to defend a trans person. And uh, while they claim to be very LGBTQ open and accepting, they definitely weren't in this instance. And because I defended this person who was being scapegoated, I was told, leave, never come back. I'm no longer your teacher. Never talk to anyone in this community again. So for me, that was a really difficult moment in my personal journey because in the yogic tradition to take a guru is a very intense and sacred thing. They tell you this is somebody who agrees to work with you lifetime after lifetime until you receive your liberation. Um, they talk about the guru taking on your karmic debts uh, and that they're basically like a savior figure in your life. And from somebody who grew up feeling really awkward and out of place to finally found a sense of home and community, in that one afternoon, I lost all of my closest friends and have not really spoken to any of them since. And so it was very shocking to have an email be delivered into your inbox saying, you're gone without a conversation. And my husband once described it as being a little bit like Jesus showing up for a Christian and saying, you know what, I'm going to save all of you, but not you. You're the one exception. I imagine that a lot of people would move into a really uh, dark and disheartened state after that experience. Um, fortunately, I'm somebody who has a lot of tenacity and grit and tries to see every opportunity as a learning opportunity, as something to grow and evolve from. And one of the ways I was able to pivot, even though I was really disoriented, is saying, well, one of the great things that came out of this is now I'm able to explore other traditions and teachers and teachings in a way that I wasn't allowed to in a part of that tradition because you were supposed to stay within the lineage, stay within that tradition you inherited. So it allowed me to start 
interacting with like Vajrayana Buddhist tantric teachers. So one of the one of beautiful things about Tantra from Tibet is that it's an unbroken lineage. In India, they had to survive the Brits who colonized them. They had to survive a Muslim invasion a few hundred years before. And so the sexual elements of Tantra had to really go underground. They had to get severed from the public eye and largely were lost um, because, I mean, you look at British society, especially during the Victorian eras, era, so conservative. Um, so there has been a revival of Indian Tantra, Shiva and Shakti Tantra, um, but a lot of it is based on assumptions. It, there hasn't been a continuous through line. As opposed to the Tibetans with Vajrayana Buddhism, uh, who were just on the other side of the mountains. They were doing pretty much the exact same thing as the Kashmir Shaivites, except they just used Tibetan language and different deities. Uh, their lineage was unbroken. So they very much preserved um, the more risque aspects, we shall say. And so leaving the ashram gave me permission to embrace that. Leaving the ashram also gave me the permission to embrace all the mystical experiences and intuition I had as a young person that I had to discount a little bit since it wasn't from my teacher. It wasn't from his teacher. You know, they were only supposed to take the learnings from that lineage. And ultimately, the place that I ended up coming to was this realization that getting thrown out of that tradition was exactly the next stage I needed for my own spiritual growth. And how often people on an intense spiritually evolutionary journey do get thrown out of the traditions they grew up because they outgrow them. And for me, even before that happened, in hindsight, I can look back and see moments where I realized I was seeing past the veil. I was seeing past the limits of the tradition I was a part of and starting to realize that I wasn't being bound in some of the other some of the ways some of the other practitioners were of thinking, this is the only home, all the wisdom comes through this one person. Like I started to own my own power more. I started to question things in a way that wasn't quite accepted. And so the freedom and the resilience that I learned from being thrown out ended up being probably one of the best spiritual gifts I could have received in my lifetime. But it was a very disorienting and painful one to go through and something I wouldn't wish on anybody unless that's what I have to go through. Um, over the next couple of years, I moved more into uh, corporate work, doing coaching work and helping people be better leaders. But my heart was very much not in it. I knew it was very much a placeholder for me uh, until I knew what came next. And what came next for me was the pandemic, which was actually fabulous because all my corporate work stopped and I couldn't do that anymore, which I had been sensing energetically for a good nine months that it would be ending. But, you know, you can tell something's coming. You don't always know when. And around the same time, right, right around the time the pandemic started was a holiday called Mahashivaratri. It's a holiday for Shiva, the great yogi. And you traditionally either stay up all night and meditate or do pujas or fast for a full day and a half. And the first night of Mahashivaratri, I went to bed and then I woke up at three o'clock in the morning with my first book downloaded in my head, Journey to the Ecstatic Self. I got up at 3 a.m., wrote the first three chapters, went back to bed at 5.30, spent the whole next day writing. And within five days, I had basically the whole book on paper. And it, it's a long book, it's over 300 pages. So it wasn't like it was a brief thing, but it just definitely felt like for me, and actually I know you also talk about having connection to Indian deities. It felt very much to me like Shiva gave me that gift and said, it's time to put this into the world. And it also gives you permission to feel like you have the authority to start teaching and guiding people too. You can say, oh, I'm the author of this book. And so with that and the beginning of the pandemic, I started my coaching practice. I started my YouTube channel, Ecstatic Self, uh, which now has about 10,000 subscribers and really, really wonderful community engagements and wonderful individuals constantly commenting and interacting. Um, and it really led me into this next phase. And so I'm so incredibly grateful that I look back on my life and even the things that felt so disorienting and so difficult and so traumatic at the time ended up being some of my biggest gifts. 
that I'm a big believer that you let go and let the universe work through you and you get exactly what you need. It isn't always what you want. And it usually, at least in my experience, isn't what I was expecting exactly what it would be. Um, I once remember a teacher saying people pray for an angel and sometimes that angel shows up looking like a purple spotted dragon. Like you, your angel's going to be what it's going to be. And so I just feel tremendously grateful because as I reflect on my journey, I didn't see what the path was as it was arriving in front of me. But in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense. I couldn't imagine it being more perfect. And it really, truly feels divinely guided to me. Um, I had somebody on a recent YouTube video comment, they're like, I feel like I'm alone in the universe and that there's no higher force guiding my life. And my response was, my gosh, that's so sad because we are all so deeply, deeply connected with our divinity. We're so deeply in the flow of a conscious guiding life that to live a life of reflection and conscious observation, for me at least, has been about recognizing the perfection of everything arriving when it needed to and the beautiful lessons that you needed at the moment they came. And I'm also a big believer that there's no such thing as a good or bad experience in life. It's just an opportunity to grow. And when we can look back on our trials and tribulations in life and see how actually it cracked us open, it made the space for the light to enter rather than just shut us down then then we're in a really really good space you know i had a really difficult childhood i was bullied relentlessly throughout and frankly i'm surprised i didn't become suicidal because it was that intense but in hindsight i realized that my soul needed to go through that to develop the empathy to develop the maturity to understand suffering and pain and then to go on the healing journey to to correct the imbalances that came from that is invaluable would i wish that pain on anyone no but it was a fundamental part of me learning about myself my spirit my connection to the divine and so that's really how i try to live my life it's just in a state of gratitude a state of saying thank you god thank you universe thank you spirit for giving me what i need thank you for divinely guiding me into the places of my growth and enlightenment and fulfillment. Thank you for helping me be in a place where I can maybe inspire a few other people on their journeys uh, towards ascension and to just see the blessing in everything. Yeah, well, thank you, first of all, for sharing all that. Like that's such a powerful experience like that you went through. Um, there's so many different things that I could touch up on that that I kind of like wanted to like one of them just escapes me right now but the first one is I definitely resonate with you know the whole you're working with someone or you're working in a specific community and then you realize that you've outgrown it for one reason or another and most people don't have the strength um to kind of like process it the way you do like the way you did like the way I did as well like I remember when my elders were like, oh, you're going to go out into the world and you're going to try to teach people shamanism. You'll be back like in no time. Right. And it was just kind of like it, it didn't make sense. Right. That, that I could see the limitations in the people that were around me because they thought that the world wasn't ready for this type of information. So I definitely resonate with that a lot. And I, you know, I think I think that's the major thing that has to happen in any spiritual development. I, I really one of the things that I try to like really drill into people especially if they work with me or anything is like if at some point something that i'm teaching you doesn't resonate go find its like similarities somewhere else in the world right like you'll find the unity once you've explored different things that are happening so that's kind of like really that's a really cool thing that you just shared it's i know i don't have a lot to say about it but no um, i agree and i I love that. And I, I think that's one of the things too, as teachers and guides, one of the things we hope for is that the people we're helping outgrow us. Mm -hmm. You know, we want like, like a parent, we want our child to have a life that is more full, more happy, more expansive than ours was like that. We give them everything we learned and then they build and grow from it. And, you know, I think that's part of the issue I've seen, not just with the tradition I was a part of, but a lot of the uh, guru relationships and traditional yogic 
ashrams and structures is this idea of you can never surpass the guru you can never go past him and, and the truth is is as enlightened as we may be none of us hold all of the cosmic keys we have our own perception of things and so you're going to get what you get what you can learn from me and at some point that's going to be all you get and if you want to learn more you need to go to other people you need to go to other traditions you need to go explore other paths um, and that's not saying that there isn't value in exploring one deeply and spending years or an extended period of time working with someone but one of the goals i think in working with a true spiritual teacher is to find somebody who's supportive of your moving on and saying your growth will take you many places and i want to celebrate you wherever the road takes you absolutely absolutely that's like such a powerful thing that you need to be having and i also like i've noticed lately with like more modern communities like a lot of people do put like almost all their power in a specific individual and that's not true self-mastery like you can look up to somebody because they're more clever than you when it comes to like solving a problem or or they have a specific skill set that's really powerful but after a while of working with a specific guru you have to become a guru of yourself it's not just always putting your power in another person you know what i mean like and i think that's where a lot of people right now in the spiritual like the spiritual wave year cosmic timeline that you want to call it whatever i think that's where people are are missing the the major value of it it's like they are trying to empower themselves but they're still trying to put their power somewhere else and like yeah. you can really often see that in social media which is yeah i think that's going to be something that has to develop across the years though for people for sure yeah and i 100 agree and one of the things i've always heard is that the inner guru the inner teacher is the strongest and the best teacher but then it becomes complicated when you also have somebody sitting up at the front of the room who also has the same title and it can get really murky you know in my tradition we would have to do an hour-long chant every morning one of the lines of which is if you ever forsake the guru you will be reborn as a demon on a waterless planet and granted it was in sanskrit so i wasn't exactly saying those words but like that gets embedded in your psyche and it takes a lot a lot of integrity for a teacher to be willing to give up that power give up that authority and say you're the ultimate authority you're your greatest teacher trust and listen to yourself uh, and one other thing too is in most yogic traditions there is a strong emphasis on learning the power of surrender uh, which is a very important skill in that tradition this idea of fully letting go releasing to the flow releasing to consciousness and letting life do you rather than you doing life and part of the way that you're taught that is learning to surrender to the guru whatever they say you do well, in the modern world, that's really rife for physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. I definitely experienced at least two of those in my ashram experience. Uh, in hindsight, again, you don't realize it in the moment because of the power dynamic. Um, so there is value in learning those skills and learning to surrender to an external teacher. But at the end of the day, it has to transfer back to your internal guru, your internal teacher and realizing that you are the source of your own enlightenment. No one's going to give that to you. You are responsible for your own journey. If at the end of the life, your life, you don't like where you ended up, it's nobody else's fault. Like you can, yeah. you can blame and say, oh, this person did this thing to me when I was 10 years old and so my life is fucked up. No, it's, it's your life, it's not their life. So owning that power, owning that integrity with yourself to say, I am a powerful creator of my own reality. In fact, I'm the only resident of my own reality. I live in my own separate world. No one else has that power. And I need to learn to trust that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also too, like, I have I have this story that I don't know why I really want to share it with you. Um, my most recent experience with a guru. So um, my closest friends are the only ones that know about this, actually. But um, I decided to train with an Agora shaman about a year, year and a half ago. So I could really learn Agora shamanism. And like, I went through all the proper channels to find somebody who authentically was part of the craft. And I remember 
probably like six months in because be- prior to working with this person, I was already channeling Kali and Shiva and Vishnu and all these other beings like my entire life. And um, I remember that I got to a point where it was Dumavadi, Chinamasta and Kali were all like, hey, this guy doesn't have anything that you can learn from him anymore because and you're and they were like, you're going to see that you know more than he does because you've been in tune for such a long time that you've been doing Agora shamanism before you even realized what Agora shamanism was, right? Because you've been in Agora in a past lifetime. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And I thought it was like my ego trying to be like, oh, you've mastered all these other crafts, like this ain't shit, right? So then finally, I remember like, like the, it was weird because a month and a half prior to him giving me these scripts, I had channeled all these divine weapons, which are known as Astras. And like, I got them directly from the deity. And then some of these Astras aren't even like easily accessible to read about or anything like that. But I knew the dynamics, what they were about, everything because Shiva directly gave it to me or something. And I remember he gave me a, a list of those Astras, like probably a month or two later. And I was like, mind blown because i was like whoa i i'm i understand what they were saying to me where this guy doesn't really have much else to teach me because i'm ahead of him now and i kindly went up to him and i said to him hey you know like i really appreciate everything that you've taught me i still am willing to totally hold up my end where i said i would pay you a specific amount of money for the for the lessons i'm not trying to back out on that but I'm not going to be showing up anymore for the actual work because I I'm being told by the gods that I shouldn't be showing up anymore. And his reaction blew my kind of like really almost like hurt my feelings, but blew my mind at the same time and put everything into perspective because he was like, well, you decided to go down the Agora path. And if you end up leaving now, you're going to have to answer to all the ancestors of the Agora and you're going to have to answer to the goddess and you're going to be fucked. And the last person that did this, yeah, she was like, he was like the last person that did this had all these horrible things happen to them. And they came back asking me for like, you know, forgiveness and I couldn't help them anymore. And I was like, the moment, the moment he said that to me, I lost all fucking respect for him. And I was like, okay, this is why, I need to leave and I left and he legit tried to curse me because like I'm really well versed in that so I can see it coming way before you even start doing the magic so like I could feel it because the goddess were the goddesses were telling me hey he's about to curse you for whatever 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 even though you upheld your your contract of paying him and whatever don't do anything we're gonna take care of it for you so he attempted for like two or three weeks legit trying to curse me from every angle and I would see it happening but just, you know, with my hands like this and letting Chinamasa do all the work and everything. So it was um, it was enlightening because especially one of the things I learned with him is like there are certain gurus like myself that pursue power. Like one of the things that I really love to do is like become more powerful and teach people like they, they have more real estate over reality than they ever give themselves credit. Mm-hmm. But when a guru is particularly telling you that you can only find power through them, that's where I've always had like this massive issue, which is like, you're like you're not you're still having a human experience no matter whether you you've become deified in your consciousness at some level like your truth is not the absolute truth for every person because infinity right so um yeah that's a, this i don't know why i felt like sharing it but it definitely was super applicable I, here i love all of that i i wish that that were less common of a story uh, I've heard so many people, and in my own experience too, living in an ashram, seeing it firsthand, where you're told if you deviate from this path, if you leave this tradition, if you forsake this teacher, your life is going to fall apart, you're going to go crazy, everything you've accomplished will disappear, you're going to backslide in your spiritual progress. And it's so manipulative. It's so fucking, excuse me, but fucking manipulative. And you think these people are coming from a place of integrity, a place of spiritual connectedness. And then you see like, no, there's, there's more manipulation going on than we realize. And also share that I had the same experience happen to me that after I left that tradition, um, the wife of the guru energetically tried to curse me and do dark magic on me for a long time. And I've heard stories about this person containing wrathful hate for people for years, years onward. I just been like, this is so counterintuitive to the work 
that you're promoting outwardly. It's so counterintuitive to trying to help people ascend. Like, it's just nasty. So yeah. I'm sorry you went through that, but I'm really impressed with your ability to tell somebody gracefully, thank you, I got what I need, and I'm moving on. Like, I think that takes a tremendous amount of power. And I also want to affirm just that in and of itself to unashamedly say i'm working to accumulate power personally like for myself that's something that's always terrified me like i grew up hearing uh power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely and being deeply afraid of it and i had this really beautiful moment i think like a year and a half ago two years ago i was sitting doing intermittent practice uh, with the medicine buddha and in part of the practice, you have to name some of the attributes of the Buddha and compassion, loving, healing, all those things around there. And then one of the last ones is powerful. And we're supposed to be in, installing those qualities in ourselves as well. And I could feel myself shirk back from the power, say, who am I to be powerful? Who am I to own that? If I were to truly own my power, it could be dangerous. It could, I could run amok. I could hurt other people. Um, and then that kind of started to lead me down the road of asking questions about, well, why do I feel that way? Can I embrace my power? And as I started to explore that question, and all this early childhood trauma came up of being told I was powerless, being told I was worthless, being told I had no agency to protect myself or defend myself against bullies or uh, tyrannical adults. And then getting to go through that deep, not so fun, but very important exploration of learning to say i can be tremendously powerful and then also to own sometimes i am powerless but that doesn't destroy me i'm not broken because there's times where i am at my physical limits and so trying to come to terms with both my powerfulness and powerlessness has been a big part of my journey in the recent past yeah so okay i want to kind of like go back and talk about bullies particularly because I grew up with the same exact thing like everyone's super mean to me <laughs> so like how did you get past like your bully wounds maybe if somebody's listening and they had the same experience so fun story uh, this year my second book came out uh, and this one is a fantasy book so it's fiction but it's also not. Um, it's largely based on my real life experiences as a teenager being bullied to a horrendous degree. And when I released the book, I had this really beautiful cathartic experience of feeling like I was able to start to let things go and give those wounds a place to live that wasn't inside of me. But there's a character, there's a story now that holds those things so I don't need to hold them anymore. But a really interesting karmic event happened. So. Like I said, as a kid, lots of bullying, I basically learned to be seen as dangerous. To be seen means you'll get hurt. Now as an adult, I don't have that experience anymore. To be seen, I feel very affirmed, I feel very welcomed, I enjoy being seen, I enjoy putting myself out there, literally and figuratively, and have learned that people are generally very kind and embracing of what I have to offer. But when I released this book about my childhood trauma, I, posted it on a website where people could download the book for free in exchange for review. And I don't know who these people are. And most of the people who downloaded the book were queer women, lesbians, and they hated it. Not only did they hate it, but they hated me. They would write things like, this book makes me want to kill the author and kill myself. This book makes me want to claw my eyes out. There isn't enough Botox in the world to make my forehead unclenched from how angry this book makes me. Why would anyone write a character like this? I hate this character with a passion. And basically I'm writing my 12 year old self. So they're, you know, that's very much directed at me. And one of the things I quickly started to realize is like, wow, Kaylin, so you just dove back into your karmic past of a time where to be seen was dangerous. And when you tell this story, you're getting that same experience of people attacking you in a way that has come to feel very unfamiliar. Where is this coming from? And as I talk this through with friends and advisors and spiritual colleagues, one of the messages I heard again and again was saying, you're making them really uncomfortable, that you're channeling something that you're bringing in a higher vibration and it's making these people 
very uncomfortable. They're not attacking your writing. They're not attacking your story. They're going at this emotional thing of how they feel. And I think for us who came to this planet as healers and lightworkers and shamans and guides, you know, we came because we took vows of service. We came because we've done lifetimes of spiritual work. And so even before we really even know what we're doing, we come in with a very unique vibration. And that, that quote unquote higher, not better, just let's say more expansive vibration can be really unsettling for people. It can really trigger their own shit. And I mean, that's not even to even comment on how if just something feels different or for everyone, our, our initial emotional response is to dislike it. It's a safety mechanism in our brain. If I haven't seen this before, I'm going to immediately dislike it to keep myself safe. But especially when that vibration is something that's maybe highlights your own feelings of discomfort, it can be really, really challenging. I look back on my childhood and realize like the amount that I suffered is really unjustified given what I was demonstrating in the world. Like, you know, for what I did, the amount of uh, negative feedback I got seems profound. So as I work on healing that trauma, one is recognizing the fact that those responses were not necessarily because of anything I did. It was just my mere presence and something my soul needed to go through to bring me to the place I need to be. And so going to a place of love and compassion for those individuals, realizing that, you know, first off, kids are generally horrible, but they were doing the best they could with their limited skill set of coping with the situation, coping with a person that felt uncomfortable to them. Um, and that were I in their shoes, I probably would not have behaved terribly differently. So developing that compassion and love for them so I don't hate them. Um, the next thing is recognizing just the karmic nature of it to say it was what it was and that's okay. And then the third thing is asking for help. So as I've explored this notion of powerfulness and powerlessness, I started to tap into a deep, I like to call it a, a sort of cyst inside, a, a little pocket of despair and darkness that was very much tied to the experience of my youth and being bullied that those feelings of inadequacy and as i explored my powerfulness and powerlessness i could start to brush up against it and when i would it would be very painful but i could never really fully dive into it and access it it just felt always just out of reach and so this past month i went on a journey to peru on a spiritual retreat to go work with some indigenous healers down there and even just as the work began I felt myself get sucked into the center of that and start to be able to process those things and purge them. I got so incredibly physically ill, like almost to the point of where I wasn't sure I was going to live on this trip that I couldn't walk, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I could barely move. My body had turned bright red, the world was spinning and I'm at 15,000 feet on a glacier. Um, and be pulled to that precipice. And then having these healers work with me to purge, to let this stuff go. So I firmly believe that part of how I've been able to heal and move on certainly has been my own work, but it's also been leaning on other healers and individuals who have been able to carry me through the spaces that my own feet would no longer work, quite literally, that I could not walk any further. Um, and it's one of the things that I've developed renewed respect for is we can be tremendously talented and gifted healers in our own right and masters of our own destiny and creators of our universe and still need the support of others and still need other people in our life to help heal us to help us evolve and that especially in this human realm we're not meant to be fully solitary we're not meant to do everything on our own but that part of living and growing and loving is sharing and exchanging and building relationships and how necessary and vital those things are for our human. Yeah. Oh my God. So much good stuff in there. Um, so, okay, let's, let's wrap up the bully portion of it first before we go anywhere else. Um, thanks for sharing that for sure. 
Um, that's crazy. Number one, that like you literally saw the echo come through with like the book. Like that's wild. Um, and I do want to say like you're aware of it already. This is like the inner child kind of like having to go through the thing, but you know it does suck to go through that. So I'm sorry you had to go through that. Um, yeah, bullies. I grew up as a kid, like the odd man out kid. So like for me, it was like I was always because I always had like this. I real I recognize it now, but as a kid, like you don't know what's really going on. I come from a, a, a shaman family. They all have like that woo woo kind of reputation where the rest of the community is like, oh, whatever, bullshit, they're weirdos. And then I used to be the kid that also had like this very like bright death aura. Um, Cause I was, that's a lot of where my abilities come from. And I remember people would just feel like freaked out by me. And they would always just be like, not really sure what the fuck it was, but <laughs> there's something wrong with that kid. And I would always just spend all this time by myself. And I remember like growing up, the anger of people being mean to me was like my drive to crush them. And I remember mm -hmm. that 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 was my way of kind of like coping with it, you know? And like when I finally, I think it was like in my early 20s when I really started dealing with that, that bully stuff, because I think that's what really was holding me back for a while. It's like nobody ever liked me. I realized that everything that they had ever said about me wasn't true in a way because they said, oh, you know, you would you would never amount to anything. And I I did. And they would say, oh, you're ugly. But yet everyone at my older age, you know, is saying, oh, wow, look how handsome you are. So I started kind of like mm -hmm. making these connections being like, OK, every bully that's ever talked some shit about me is because maybe they were going through something that they didn't even realize was going on with them. Right. Or they couldn't vocalize it. And the only way you could take it out on was like on the most vulnerable person in that space. So the bully concept, I think, is really interesting because as of late, I've been seeing that as well show up in my reality. Um, and I still get tested. Like, don't get me wrong. I still get tested with the anger. I can be one of the most vicious people you could ever meet in your life mm -hmm. if you get me to that point. You know, I choose not to be that person. But like, if you really take me there, I, I got ammunition. So one of my family members as of late has taken it upon themselves to be a bully, like the active bully just towards me for whatever reason. And I noticed that every time they take that position is because I have triggered them to look at what they're not doing with their own reality that then makes yeah. them hate me for it, you know? And it's just yeah. like, you could be living your life to the maximum if you wanted to like i'm going after the shit that i feel like i'm inspired to go after i'm going after my dharma i'm living the vibe right like everyone has the opportunity to do that and no matter how many times i try to like bring that up to this person they can't comprehend that they they they, they rather think i'm always getting like a freebie or like whatever bullshit narrative they create so yesterday I actually went down again like um i had just found out that i was in a major publication and one of my friends has sent it to me and they're like, oh my God, look at this. Like you're in the, like the top 10 gurus of 2022, uh, 2022. And I shared it with my family. And of course he had some bullshit ass fucking comment to, to throw into the mix. And the first thing I went to was this rage because I'm an Aries. So like the fire just went wild mm. and I heard all the things I could just, oh, maybe if I say this, this is going to hurt a little bit more than if I just said that one. And then I remember stopping and being like, well, if you react, isn't that exactly what he wants? He wants to like see you have like that moment of weakness where he hurt you and that's why you're retaliating. So the only thing you can do to really overcome this is just not say anything at all. Don't give him the energy yeah. he's looking for, move on, live your life. And you know what? Keep sharing your successes with people, like fuck him. And I remember I was waiting for someone in the rest of the thread to say something and everyone took the same kind of stance that I did later on this morning i find out that no one commented because nobody felt the way he felt nobody was supporting his idea and to give any energy to what he said was giving him power in our conversation overall in this like community like this thread that we had going on of like sharing our, our blessings and our abundance so like i think bullies 
especially if you have a bully wound, that's going to show up in different ways just to see if you're going to have a reaction. That's been like my personal reality where even on social media, people like you'll make a bomb ass video and somebody will be like, oh, you suck. Like, I hate you. Like, you're so cringe. Mm -hmm. And you have to fall into that power of like, you know what? That's your own perception. Like at the end of the day, not everyone's going to love you. Right. So it's like whatever. So that was the first thing I really wanted to share because I felt like that was like very much in in alignment. Um, I love that. Can I respond real quick? Yeah. So two things. First is yes, yes, yes. Um, it's one of the big things that I focus on in my own spiritual work is that idea of um, energetic force. And so you bring up this idea of if I were to try and meet this person and push back against them, then I'm going to be perpetuating this rather than non-reacting. And I'm, I'm a big believer in what's above is so below that we see patterns reflected throughout the cosmos and let's look at the basic laws of physics every action has an opposite and equal reaction if you push at something with force you're going to push back equally it's part of the reason that actually in the yoga tradition you learn surrender is okay if you want to accomplish something how can you do it with the least amount of force how can you just move into that space as opposed to if you try to like if you try to belly flop into a pool that water is going to push back versus if you just slip in gently you're going to sail right through. So I love seeing you do that. Mazel tov to you. Kudos. Um, and then the second thing is I love you bringing up this idea of so much of your spiritual connection coming through death. It's something I also identify with and part of why I resonate with you. You know, physically, when I was actually born, I was born dying. I, my heart flatlined. I stopped breathing. They had to suck me out um, and revive me. So from the very beginning, I've been very connected with death. Um, but like, I remember one of my first consultations I did with a Vedic astrologer talked about the nakshatras, the stars that align with your disposition. And that for me, having a connection to the death form of Shiva, the, the, you know, that idea that there is sacredness in what is on the other side of life. Um, it's something that I return to again and again in my work is the connection of death and spirituality and how that informs the work I do. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. Are you talking about Bhaivara? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love him. He's so amazing. Um, okay, so I have to now touch on the death moment, like just like a couple of weeks ago that you had. So um, I've had those moments as well. And I think like, there's a very specific level of consciousness that happens when you're in there. Like you become so aware of not only just life, but death and like how much control you have over it. Um, so, I mean, when you were in that position, like what downloads were you like, were you like, Oh, I'm fighting for life. Or were you yeah. more so in the surrender where you're like, okay, this is the shit that's gotta go down. It's going to go down. You know, where were I mean, you at? Uh, so, when I signed up for this retreat, I did not know everything that was going to entail. I did not know we were going to be camping in sub-freezing temperatures. I did not know we were going to be climbing to 15,000 feet uh, and doing like eight hours of hiking a day. And so as the retreat began, I, as I mentioned, I tapped into this, this cesspit, this horrible dark space inside that I began to purge. And over the coming days, as it became very quickly clear that I was going to be embracing my powerlessness because suddenly I found I couldn't walk. Suddenly I could found I could barely sit on a horse and everybody else is striking up a mountain. And meanwhile, I'm clinging to this horse for dear life and afraid I'm going to fall off and break my neck. And being in excruciating pain, physically, spiritually, and becoming more and more immobile and realizing the immense fragility that is me. There was a state of surrender. There was a state of, I mean, there was initially fighting. There was a moment where like I climbed off the horse and said, fuck this, I'm going to walk if it kills me. And they made it like 10 more steps before I literally couldn't step again and had to climb back up. Um, I wanted to resist because I don't know about you, but the narrative that I've told myself for a long time is that I have to be strong. I have to be strong to endure. And if I'm not strong, then I will be destroyed. And to really confront that, to really dive into, you're not strong enough. You physically cannot do anymore. 
you're being pulled to the precipice of even feeling like you might not even live, are you going to be okay? Can you embrace that? And to enter a state of surrender where you, okay, that's it. I, I am I am unable to do anything else. And that's okay. You know, I when one of my favorite ideas is that once you survive that which you believe to be unsurvivable, you really realize how powerful you are. That once you've lived past what should have killed you, you understand your grit, your tenacity, and it makes you a very different human being. And I think we go through many different types of deaths. Now, this was a very literal one, but also very, very energetic. Um, so I think there was an element of both. And throughout my adult life, one of the things that I've just personally really uh, gone back and forth on is the journey between self-acceptance as you are and wanting to be something more. And how that's often manifested for me is with my body. Uh, yes, I'm a yogi, I'm flexible, and you know, pretty tall and lean and lanky. Um, I'm beautiful as I am, and then saying, but I want to feel powerful, so I want to feel fucking jacked and huge and muscular, and that I'm, you know, capable of defending myself, and no one's going to mess with me. And that very much came up in this journey of saying. How powerful are you really? I mean, you could do everything you want to fortify your body and to make yourself feel resilient. But at the end of the day, if sickness comes for you, if death comes for you, it doesn't matter what the fuck you do, it's coming. And you are ultimately at the whims of something more. Mm -hmm. No, I feel you. Yeah. I don't know. I really like those death moments. Um, I don't, I wouldn't. I'm not saying I'm manifesting it. Like, I don't want that shit to happen again. But, <laughs> you know, like, I've done it. I've done, I've gone through it like five or six times at this point in my life. And, like, every time it teaches you something about you. Like, the one that, like, really resonates with me um, with your kind of, like, experience was when I um, did Hawaiian wood rose. So I don't know if you ever heard of it, but um, there are, like, these seeds to, like, the Hawaiian wood rose plant. And, you take about like five or six of them. I can't remember the dosage right now, but like you, you take them and it's like a, an alternate version to LSD. Mm -hmm. But like, if you don't take them properly, then they can actually kill you. They can physically kill you. Um, so that was one of the things that I, I did basically ended up going through. Like, I remember I took them. I was like, oh yeah, I'm ready. Like, I'm ready to unlock more power. I'm ready to become like a badass. And the first, like, I started feeling this horrible gut-wrenching pain in my stomach. And I remember, like, I fell asleep because I, I was in so much pain that I was like, I could just got to lay down for a quick second. And um, it just got worse. And at some point, I was there with, I wasn't alone. I was with some friends. And I felt my body stop breathing. Like, it got to a point where I, but it was such a, it was the first time I've ever experienced this where, like, I knew I was dying and I could see myself from another dimension, like kind of disconnected from my body and going there and then coming back and then going there. And then it was just kind of like this back and forth wave where I could literally feel the breath of life escaping my lungs. And I, anytime I would come right back into the body, I'd be like, <gasps> and I'd be like, oh my God, you guys, you guys got to fucking call 911 call 911 right now right now right now call it and then I would fall back into the trance and my friends were like no like we can't call the cops because we're you know we're all gonna get fucked by you know if we do this yeah. like you're just you're hallucinating Axel calm down and I'm like no you guys like every time I come back like no no I've done too many psychedelics I know what's happening I'm dying and then at that point when I realized that my friends were like they were more invested in keeping their trip on point and they couldn't really like, you know, they couldn't really like, you know, control what was going on with me. I said, okay, if this is how I, if this is how I go. This is how I go. I guess this is like how it was supposed to be like, damn. And I said, I hope this is not how I leave, but I will accept what is already in the cosmos. And I remember in that moment, like I, I kind of like disappeared into like a very deep center of myself. And it was like, so what you, and I literally heard like my God self say, 
so what you're saying is like you don't know shit then and i was just like yeah i guess so like i guess i can't even control myself from not dying in this moment or i couldn't even pick better people to trip with so yeah <laughs> i guess i i guess i don't know anything in my reality and it was like okay as long as you constantly remember that and i remember getting all the breath back into my life and then i was i woke up i stopped being friends with all those people not because they meant harm for me but i recognized that okay like didn't have the consciousness that was necessary to be on these types of trips with them so i had to make sure like i find people that are in alignment i kind of like shaved my whole ego at that point because i was one of those shamans i was like i'm gonna prove that i'm the baddest motherfucker on this planet and at that moment, it was just like, you're never, you're going to be probably one of the baddest bitches on earth, but you're never going to be the supreme, right? And I was like, okay. And that kind of like really did shape my life to have a better respect for like, not only the concept of power, but what like, what I'm even capable of. And I realized that after that, that's when I really learned how to make people avoid death because I was no longer afraid of death. I was able to see it directly and recognize that there's a mechanism behind it. You can avoid death, but you have to be willing to recognize that what your perception on what death is and the experience of death and what it's gonna take you and what's gonna happen is never gonna be what the actual experience is. is. Like you have to surrender to become more powerful. And that's one of the things that I teach my students a lot. I teach them this mantra called, it literally says, less control is more control. Very similar to what you were talking mm -hmm. about, like the yogi, which is like, the most obvious thing is the thing that your ego is not even looking at. Like you have to be willing to say there's an answer beyond like what I would like to happen or what I want to believe in. And then that's where the answer actually surfaces and you become like miraculous. So that was one of the, like one of the very powerful experiences. And I've had so many other ones where it, they've taught me something around the same lines, you know, like rather respect the plant medicine or, you know, be aware of like what you're actually coming in with when you're, when you set out an intention. So um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely resonate with that. That's why I wanted to ask, cause if anyone ever goes through it, like, um, now you know how to go through it. One of my students too, like this is the last one I'm going to share about that. One of my students just had that experience where he realized that he had died in his body. And when he was in the astral realm, he remembered me saying like, I've died so many times. Like if you don't want to die, you don't have to. And he remembered hearing that. And he was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing death right now, but I'm, I don't want to die right now. And he came right back to his body. And then he messaged me immediately when he came back and he was just kind of like, oh, he's like, I finally understand what you mean. Like what you, I heard you say it so many times, but I didn't really con conceptualize it until I had the experience, you know? So it's one of those things where I just wanted to share it for people in general. Um, I love that. I also yeah. want to just reflect back at you to one of the things that I know you've also talked about is this idea of polarity that everything in the universe has its two sides. And if you want to get really good at spiritual work, you have to master both. You have to master that you're both immensely powerful and that you're completely weak, that you hold the masculine, you hold the feminine, you hold the light, you hold the dark, you hold the positive, you hold the negative. And that when we hold both, that's when we find the middle, that's when we find everything. Um, so I love that that experience just highlighted that even deeper for you. Um, and then one other thing I'll also say too is I'm I'm a huge fan of plant medicine giving us experiences that you know a lot of times are really beautiful and light filled and sexy and juicy and lovely, and then sometimes they give us those experiences that are really challenging, and even though they're not fun and sometimes panic inducing in the moment they're immensely valuable i know a few months ago i had, was doing a psilocybin journey on my own and there was a good period of time where i just watched my body grow old decay fall apart and die over and over and over and over and watch myself go through that process seven times in a row and gosh it was uncomfortable to live through watching the demise of your physical self but on the other side how much do we learn about our immortality our eternalness our our timelessness after that mm -hmm. yeah no absolutely absolutely so okay there's one last thing i want to ask you because we're coming to the end of our podcast um touching about like 
we talked about queer spirituality on your podcast. So mm-hmm. that's been kind of like a, a bit of a subject matter for the last couple of months on mine. Um, yeah, any wisdoms you have on on queer spirituality? Like, um, yeah, anything, any gems, I guess. I would say a few things. First is that queer people have magical abilities, all of us, because we hold polarity within ourselves. We hold the masculine and feminine. We hold the outsider experience and from being different from the moment that we were born, being different than often our parents or our brothers and sisters and the community around us. We hold a lot of unique vantages and so we are inherently mystical creatures. I am a big believer that historically speaking, pre-industrial revolution, queer individuals were often the gatekeepers to the other realm, the mediators, the shamans, the healers. Uh, and that part of the reason we as LGBTQ folk suffer as a population with mental health issues and addiction issues and things of that nature are because we're disconnected from our purpose. And our purpose is to be guides into spirit. And I really think that if you look at like, what are the mainstays of gay culture? Partying, dance floors, altered states of awareness through chemical use, lots of sex. All of those things are abstractions of spiritual tools. Right? The temple prostitute, the sacred orgy, right? using sex as a form of enlightenment as a tool for enlightenment, using plant medicine, chemically altered states to access other worlds and other dimensions within ourselves, uh, trance-like states through ecstatic dancing and light, like all these things that we do as queer people or that are the mainstays of our culture are also shamanic tools, are also spiritual tools. And so I hope and believe that we're entering a phase in humanity. And given the number of queer spiritual guides that I have seen come into existence in the last 15, 20 years, I think we're transitioning to a place where the queer community starts to recognize and wake up to their divine potential, to their role as sacred guardians, and that it's a time of ascension and integration in the LGBTQ world to realize that, yes, we can do all those things and have a lot of fun, but there's also a higher purpose and that's to connect you with something eternal and best, and then bring that back to heteronormative society and say, there are other ways of living. There are other ways of being, let's choose differently. Yeah, absolutely. No, I definitely agree with that. Especially cause like you think like, as a queer person where you're going through your shit, you know what I mean? Like it's, I knew I was one of those people that I found my freedom and being at a rave and being surrounded by bass and other people who, I guess we're doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Like we were coming together mm-hmm. as a tribe and just kind of like letting go of that negative energy. And when you think about that, that's part of like, yeah, like you were saying, ecstatic dance and like, you know, the sound vibration itself can be like liberating because it's part of the cosmos. Mm-hmm. And like, we don't really look at that when it comes to like a culture is like everything we literally do is shamanism <laughs> like at, yeah. at some level, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of sad to see like, you know, like how the, the spiritual concept of it, like the power right behind that has been taken away from queer people just by conditioning throughout the years, you know? Um, and now one people are that, awakening to it. And I think one thing, the good thing that the queer community is good at owning, which is such an intense spiritual principle is very tantric is that idea of, go to the extremes, go to those things that regular society says is terrifying and profane and scary and go celebrate there. Go learn to see the amazingness of those things that if you can go and go to a haunted graveyard and find ecstatic bliss there, then you can thrive anywhere. If you get comfortable with, I don't know, fisting or scap play or some of those things that are considered very you know taboo by mainstream culture that you know is much more prevalent in gay culture and you learn to see that none of it is as scary as you thought then perhaps you're also on a spiritual journey to see Mm -hmm. that the sacredness in all yeah i love it this is such a good podcast i loved talking to you and getting like Mm -hmm. all the vibe it was so amazing likewise Um, such a pleasure axel yeah we're definitely going to be doing it again um so 
where can people find you and why would they want to come work with you or what kind of people are you open to working with? Absolutely. Well, anybody who feels a connection. Um, I'm a big believer that no one is the right coach for everybody. Um, but if you feel a resonance with someone, go work with them, go steal from them, go take what you can and then use it. Um, so anyone who feels called to work with me, uh, my focus is LGBTQ individuals, predominantly gay men, but I'm open to working with anyone. You can find out more about my coaching practice on ecstatichealth.com. But a, a really great way to get to know me is through my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash ecstatic self. Uh, I lead a live meditation class every Sunday at six. Uh, I post an edited video or an interview every week. And we talk about everything from how to better orgasms to dick size to enlightenment to finding the perfect relationship to you name it sex spirituality connection queerness all of that uh, there's also my books uh, i have patreon but yeah you can find me wherever and i'm always happy to talk so anytime you want to have a conversation or you have anything coming up that you just want somebody to listen to i'm always do free consultation calls discovery calls so you can always message me and then and i try to respond to everyone nice well thank you yeah bc dubs um i watched the dick size video and um i already know a little bit about it but the way you presented it and you went through it i was like oh damn i never really thought of it. like because you did like the whole dynamics and you were like imagine that the, the biggest one possible like that'd be horrible right so i was just like yeah i was like i never really thought about the dynamics of it so that was actually a really good video if you're a guy or you're just interested in general about knowing about penis sizes check out his uh video on that because that was amazing um and taking yeah. the taboo and making it approachable yeah absolutely absolutely well there you have it guys k ecstatic self here and definitely check out his pages and we will catch you in the next episode sending you lots of love thank you